We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. Well, today again, we're back in the book of Titus, and we've entitled this whole series, uh, The Anatomy of a Healthy Church. We are continuing our study here in chapter 2, and we'll begin by looking at really three aspects of a healthy church. Chapter 1, if you remember, dealt with the leadership within the church. Chapter 2 really deals with the membership of the church, and chapter 3 deals with our partnership in the gospel ministry. Um, Last week, we looked at several characteristics as we dealt with membership of men, older men in the church, and by which we expect the younger to follow by way of example. And really the same goes today as we continue in this area of membership, but rather not as it relates to the older men, but rather the older women. Slash younger women in the church. As much as there is a responsibility for the older men to act in a way that honors God, so there is a high level of expectation as well for the older women to live and be an example of godly-like characteristics by which the younger women will live and see by example. Everything we do in this life should have purpose. Last week we kindly entitled it, Everybody Has a Part to Play. I know that in working world that I once was in, every project we ever did had a set of blueprints. It, it laid out the details of what was expected. Now we as a church... This is informational for your benefit as well, and an illustration. We, we are looking at expanding our bathrooms and the overflow. And so one of the things we asked as the elders was for David to put together a blueprint of what that would look like. Why? Well, I think it was done for a number of reasons. Number one, we wanted to have a framework by which we could work within a budget. But also, we wanted to make sure that whoever does the work completely understands the job they are to do and what we want ultimately accomplished. But if we're going to be honest... <laughs> The most important aspect is what will it look like when it's done. We like to know what things look like. Well, I'm here to remind us this morning that God has given us a blueprint by which we are to work by. We are living in a culture that is ever so shifting. There's never been a time when there is so much attack. Listen, against women in our society. It's been going on for a few years. Now I want to argue that God has given us a blueprint. He has given us His written documentation of what He expects from both men and women throughout the Word of God. And so it's no surprise to me that the enemy either tries to delude or twist the Word of God, which he has done really from the very beginning. He did it there at the, in the Garden of Eden with Eve. And thus, it would be wise for us as believers, as followers of Christ, to evaluate the blueprint by which God has designed so that we can effectively accomplish the task that He has for each one of us. We need to accomplish the task of what God says is best. Listen, the culture doesn't have the power to overthrow the Word of God. And the culture doesn't have the authority to change what God has set in the blueprint by which He expects us to be obedient to. But wherever God is working, so the enemy is as well. 
God has placed so much value, so much importance on women. There's no wonder why the devil is attacking so swiftly in these days. You, you, you ladies do understand how important you are in this Christian life. You are absolutely vital to the health of the church. So they are attacked. They are attacked on their femininity. It's no longer cool to be feministic, to be a feminist, to be a woman who's a woman. They are attacked on their roles and responsibilities and, and sold a bill of lies on everything else that's so much more valuable in the world for which we live. They are attacked on where they should find their value. Oh, buy this magazine. This is what you should look like. This is what you should watch and, and get your value from. They're even attacked on their God-given expectations. Attacked on the very God-given design from the very beginning of time. The women in our day are trying to be squeezed into a cultural, relevant mold by which the enemy can accomplish the greatest task ever in the history of humanity and it is dismantling roles and responsibility of the women which will result in the breakdown of the family. And if we're going to be a healthy church, if we're going to be a healthy family, if we're going to be a healthy community and a healthy nation and a healthy world, not only does these things hinge on the men being men, but the women being women. Fulfilling our obligations by which God has instructed for the better of all of humanity. We don't, we don't have the ability to change or to manipulate God's Word. Nevertheless, I want you to understand that faithful families equal faithful churches and faithful churches equal faithful thinking. And faithful thinking equals faithful communities and faithful communities equals faithful States and faithful states equals faithful nations and faithful nations equal a nation and a world that honors God Almighty. But it begins where? In the home. It is the, it is the battleground by which we can conquer evil. It starts in the home. It starts right there at the kitchen table with your children, with your grandchildren. Listen, the struggle for you women has been since the very beginning of time when the curse was given. But you don't want to buy into the world system, ladies, by which they are wanting to obliterate that which God has ordained from the very beginning of time. He is a liar. He is the serpent of craftiness. When in the beginning, the devil asked one simple question, has God really said? This is where it boils down to everything. What, what is your roles and responsibility as a church? It's what God says your roles and responsibilities are. In the culture that is anti-Christ, asks the very question, did God really say? It's the original attack on the authority of the Word of God. And thus, Paul calls us to be reminded that we are to armor up to know how to fight the enemy. In Ephesians 6, 11 to 12, we learn, he says, put on the full armor of God. Not, not parts of it, not a little bit here and a little bit there, but the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, ultimately, the one weapon that we are reminded of that is necessity on top of all other weapons is the sword of the truth. We must make sure that we are equipped with the word of God, not the wisdom of man. God's word, my friends, is the blueprint. This sword was a short-handled sword, about 18 inches, and it was designed not like a long sword where they could hit them far away, but rather when it was up close, when the battle was hand-to-hand combat, that they could slice and stab and work. And that, my friends, is what we ought to be doing when we are in the battles of this life against the spiritual warfare that is not only impacting the men in this nation, but more so, I believe, the women. Because the men aren't standing up for them. We must be men and women of the Word. God's Word is the blueprint for a job well done, a completed task that will honor and exalt the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the blueprint is His Word. And thus Paul instructs Titus to teach the older women about their character and about their calling. Every body has a part to play. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. If my feet stop working, I fall down. I need my feet to work. I need my hands to work so I can pick up things. But if my thumb stops working, then I, it's hard to really grab things. I need two hands. Every part has a play, play, part to play. And I want to begin by encouragement this morning. Because I want to thank the women in making an acknowledgement and express my gratitude for the godly women, not only in this nation, but in this church, that have been a godly example from generation to generation that have taken a stance against this postmodern agenda, that have stood the test and said, as for our house, we will serve and honor God with our lives. The number one thing that I get when I hear people come and visit the church are people are so loving. And everybody seems to know what they're doing and what their part is. Will we be about doing things God's ways or man's ways? Listen, I'm grateful that we are about doing things God's ways. And we have not adopted a modern culture and sacrificed our families on the altar of the feministic liberalism that has bled into the church. You ladies are vital for the health of of the local body of Christ. And just like in the beginning, the devil attacked Eve in the Old Testament, so the devil is attacking still women today. The devil and his demons are attacking the guidelines by which God has created from the very foundations of the world, even prior to the fall of man. And thus, my hope is that this message will encourage each one of you to stand against the schemes of the devil. Men to protect our ladies. To stand up for what is right. To not fold to the culture by which we live. So my desire is to not only encourage the older women, but also to challenge you. To call you to be like Christ. An example to the younger women to follow. If we're going to be a healthy church, if we are going to be a healthy community and a healthy nation, then it's you ladies that are the ones that are responsible for the future generations of faithful, godly women. And I'll argue that from the Word of God. It's up to you ladies. You have a great important 
responsibility by which you should not advocate for any reason. No pressure. Paul understood that Titus was to teach the older women to have these qualities, to be an example, to teach the younger women. Because there is something about the ability for a woman to teach a woman things men can't teach them. And I really believe that this was God's design from the very beginning. Listen, there are certainly things women cannot teach men that only men can teach younger men. And if we're going to be honest, and, 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 and as I was preparing this morning, I just wrote down a bunch of statistics because it dawned on me that because of the culture which we live in, there's a bunch of single moms. <laughs> we're to do life together. Men aren't teaching men because they're not in the home. When you think about a nation of grown boys, you have to ask the question, what's gone wrong? Listen, 17.4 million children are fatherless. That, that, that means there are 17.4 million homes with single mothers. How are we expect the women to do what God has called them to do when we are putting them under the yoke of an issue by which they can't accomplish their task because now they have to go to work to provide for their family when dad should be doing his job and mom should be doing her. It's all messed up. Between 1st and 12th grade, 39% of children are fatherless. And if I can be honest, we are reminded that true ministry is what? To the orphans and widows. The Greek word for orphan is orphanos. It means the fatherless. So how many fatherless homes are orphans? 57% of black families are fatherless. It's 57.6. 31.2% of Hispanic families, fatherless. 20.7% of Caucasian families, fatherless. And 72% of the American population believe that the, the, the problem in America today is because it's the fatherless in the home. There's no dads. 1960, there was 9.1% of fatherless homes. In 2012, we made it all the way to 20.7%. And now we're at 33%. And it just keeps going and going. Where, where, where are the fathers? God's design was for us to do life together. For you young people, I want you to understand this and listen, perk up your ears, wake up, whatever it needs to be, but listen to me very carefully. You better be very picky about who you marry. Make yourself a list and check it twice. And when that man comes in your life, he may, he may hit all of them up front, but time will tell. That's why I love courting. It allows you to put a little pressure on things. Make sure to check it out. Because that's our responsibility as dads to make sure the spouse whom your daughter or your son is marrying, that they meet the qualifications, number one, of Scripture and the qualifications by which your daughter has made her list. Because if you marry the wrong man or the wrong woman, the odds are against you already. We're growing up in a different world. Make sure... That you get wise counsel. Be picky. It's okay. There are certain things that men cannot teach women that only older women can teach the younger women. Thus, Paul wants Titus to understand that he is to teach the older men and the older women to live out these godlike characteristics that will affect generations to come. 
And if the generations to come are not successful, it's because someone has failed to teach them. Here's some more statistics. I got on a little roll this morning. We did a little homeschool seminar online the other day. It was great. Brian and Kelly and my wife and I and uh, did a little roundtable about homeschooling and how important we believe it is for the health of the church. Because if you haven't paid attention, the public school system isn't really for God most of the time. But here's the bigger issue. God's called you to raise your children, not somebody else. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to beat down on those people whose kids are in public school. You've got to do what you feel is right to do. But here, listen to this. On average, if a child goes to school at 8 a.m. and is out at 3 p.m., that's seven hours a day. Times five days a week, times 52 weeks in a year, that's 1,820 hours that they've spent in the care and under the teaching of someone other than you as a parent. You say, that's not bad. Well, that's 21% of their time. You say, well, they're still 80%. Well, yeah, that's true in some sense, but in reality, don't you sleep? But if a child sleeps eight hours a day, that right there equals 2,912 hours. 2,912 hours a year. That's 33%, which you or no one else is teaching, and they're off in la-la land dreaming. That doesn't include the sports programs and everything else they're doing under the authority of someone else. There's only 8,736 hours in a year. 54% of their time is most likely not spent under your care. Under your authority. We're advocating our responsibility to train up our children. And we've given that role to someone else who does not think like you. Who does not believe like you in many cases. And who are anti-God in many cases. Thus, Paul wants us to understand that it's the older men and the older women who are teach the younger. Beginning in the home. And if the generations to come are not successful, the reality is because we have failed to teach our children. We failed to teach them the important things about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We failed to teach them about the things of God. We failed to teach them about the Constitution. We failed to teach them everything that is important in this world. And we've entrusted that to somebody else. And it doesn't take but just a minute of your own research to realize what's being taught in these school systems. They are not for God. And again, I understand every circumstance is different. You as a parent have to be the determining factor of what your child is learning. And if they're in the public school system, then you better be debriefing them when they get home. Because someone else is teaching them. Paul gets... Very passionate when it comes to the authority of God's Word and what He is to teach and what Titus is to teach. And he begins with the older men and then he goes into the older women and thus the older women and older men, when they fail to invest in the younger men and women in this culture, the outcome is not pretty. And I believe what we're seeing in this nation is an outcome of fathers and mothers that have advocated their responsibility to raise up their children in godly homes. When they lie down and when they rise up, it's our responsibility. Teach them the Word of God in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke with great patience and instruction. We, we are to teach and train and equip them. This is our jobs. So if we are going to see the moral decline, the, the morality of this nation which is in moral decline, if we're going to see it begin to uh, uh, become different, it begins in the home. So it is the church that needs to step up. It is dads and moms that need to step in and regain the, the control of their families. And thus we need to understand God has a blueprint. So let's turn to Titus chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 3. And five. Now, a disclosure here. 
we are actually only going to get to verse 3, verses 4, 3 and 4a. And then next week will be part 2 because this is a very, very important passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture is really divided into two sections. He says here in verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, but teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure as workers in the home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Passage of Scripture again about character and about calling. So there are two things I want you to see today as we look at these verses. First, I want you to see the expectation of older women in their character and then expectation of older women in their calling. He begins here in four areas of expectation as he deals with Verse 3, and Paul says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, but rather teaching what is good. Paul continues to teach Titus the expectations, not only of older men, but also of the older women. He begins with the phrase, likewise. It seems likewise as the older men, so the women are to be expected to behave in a manner that is honoring to God. No one is off the hook here. Now, all Christians are to honor God with their life. He is just simply pointing out the reality from head to toe, what's top to bottom. There, there is no call in your life that's any different call than in my life, other than roles and responsibility. But as far as being holy, as God has called us to be holy, that should be a reality for us. At least we should be being sanctified. For which out, Hebrews chapter 12, 14 says, without it, sanctification, no one will see heaven. So the expectation is that we are all living and moving toward a Christ-like lifestyle. It's the process. Paul says older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. It's an interesting Greek term that's only used here in the New Testament that refers to holiness. A, a priestly-like attitude. It really seems that Paul has a high expectation for the older women to live by. He thought of them worthy of honor and respect and dignity and while also maintaining a lifestyle and behavior that is a reflection and related to holiness. How often in this day do we actually call people to be holy? It seems, it seems contrary to the world we live in. We, we don't call people to holiness. We don't call people to righteousness because when we do, what do they say? Oh, you're a legalist. Now, you've you got to understand the definition of legalism. Legalism says you have to be holy in order to be saved. That's legalism. Sanctification says you ought to be becoming more like Christ as you walk through this journey of life, and therefore you should be holy. You should walk in holiness. You should progress in being made more into the image of Christ as you walk through your life daily. Paul expects us to be holy. Now, historically speaking, during the New Testament, Women of this time were very active in serving the church. And I believe they're still very active in serving the church. Many churches would not even survive if it wasn't because of the women, because the men have absolutely abdicated their responsibility. And this is very prominent in the African-American community. But nevertheless, not only do we see here in this text the reality of faithful women, and what they should be, their responsibilities, like teaching and encouraging younger women in the Lord. But historically speaking, we learn that they also minister to others and to other women in the church of every age, single, married, and even widowed. They visited the sick. They sought after the poor. They visited men and women in prison. They provided hospitality to to Christians who were uh, passing through, the travelers, especially those who were doing the ministry. They, they were very faithful. I love what Johnny Mac says. He says, in towns that were strongly pagan, 
Christian women would go through the streets and the marketplaces and search for abandoned children, newborns, who were not wanted, that had been left by their parents, abandoned. Since abortion was both dangerous and contraceptions were, were not even in the reality of things, they wanted to just abandon their children. So male babies were raised to be slaves and gladiators fight to death. Some of the girls were trained to be slaves and also others were trained to be prostitutes. Christian women rescued these infants and would give them to church families for adoption. I guess what I'm trying to say is that historically speaking, women have been a major part of serving the body of Christ. And some of the greatest respectable Christian persons are women. Faithful. And I know that there's every single one of us can think of women in our lives who were an honor to the, to the Lord and invested into your life Christ-like characteristics. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have no older women in my life who invested into us, biblically speaking. But nevertheless, there were women in church when I started going to church who were very faithful, very encouraging. And I believe that women have a vitally important role in affecting the health of the church. And thus I believe it's worth fighting for. I believe it's worth standing up for. I believe it's worth getting passionate about it. Because we should have expectation of these women in the body of Christ. And that is because they do play a vital role in lives of strong Christian children that grow into strong Christian adults. You know, I watched Rebecca Henderson this morning and they're teaching those young children. Week in and week out, there are women who serve in this children's ministry who pour into these kids faithfully every week, week in and week out. Now, their job isn't to train your children. That's your job. But, but we come alongside and we take up the times we do have to invest in them and to encourage you to be the ones teaching and training and equipping your children in the home. Because that's our job, not theirs. They're here to come alongside. But nevertheless, it's always a beautiful thing to look through that door and to see those kids. Such an encouragement. So we, we, we don't need to view what God has deemed good and viable and, and healthy for the church as non-essential or culturally irrelevant or as a demeaning role. Rather, women should be exalted because of the impact that they have on the health of the church, which should unfold itself in the health of every, every other area of our lives in this world. So if we're going to be a healthy church, then there's an expectation for the older women to continue as they have through the centuries to fulfill their roles and complete what God has called them to. I mean, these women have done this for centuries. We see women like Rachel in the Bible, Hannah, Ruth, Esther, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Dorcas, and on and on and on. We could just do a whole sermon on the godly women in the Bible who had... Massive impacts. They've made a huge impact for the glory of God. And we need still today women to make huge impacts for the glory of God. So Paul here gives three character qualities to be expected. He says, women not only are to be reverent in their behavior, but he says not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine or teaching what is good. He says, first, they're not to be malicious gossips. The, the characteristic of a faithful, holy woman seems very simple. She is not to be a slanderer. Now what's interesting here is when you look at the Greek, this, this word that's translated sand, uh, uh, slander is diablos. It's what's translated the devil. 
Why? Because it's a lie. Slandering is what the devil does. I mean, this same term is used 34 times in the New Testament. Translated, Satan. It was in the book of John that Jesus referred to the Diablos as the father of lies in John 8, 44. He says, you are, uh, uh, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so listen, the reality is, is when there is gossip, when there is slander, and you're doing it to someone, it's the very deeds of the devil. <laughs> and completely contrary to reverent behavior. It's the opposite. And again, this is not about necessarily female issues. Although typically males deal with the, the physical aspect of abuse where women typically deal with the emotional side and verbal abuse. But nevertheless, this is about Christ-like characteristics. This should be related to both men and women. But for the sake of what Paul is teaching Titus is that which is common among the women. Nevertheless, it should not be a characteristic found among any Christian. Because why? It's a characteristic of the father of lies. Listen, our tongues are a vital tool and they can cause great destruction or they can lift up. They can set fires that cause a blaze. That, 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 that can absolutely destroy people. And I believe that's why Proverbs says uh, it, it, it's wise to be slow to speak. Even a fool is wise when he is silent. I, I need to learn to shut up. So if the woman is going to be an example of reverent behavior, she must not be a woman who attacks like the devil in her speech against others. Be very cautious. Interestingly enough, when we look at the qualifications of deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we learn that even a, a deacon or an elder can be disqualified by this character quality, disqualifying her husband if she is a slanderer. So it makes good sense that if there's going to be a healthy church, if there's going to be qualified leaders as well, then these older women must not hinder that in their speech. You know, normally our sin doesn't simply affect us, it affects everybody around us. That's what I really try to teach my children. And I need to be reminded of myself on a regular basis is that my sin doesn't necessarily just affect me, it affects everybody around me. been that way since the very beginning of time when sin entered the world. In Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because why? All have sinned. Sin affects everyone. In that garden when God told Adam, He didn't tell Eve, by the way, told Adam, Adam failed and abdicated his responsibility to lead his wife. And therefore, who did the devil approach? Eve. Smart guy, isn't he? He said, from this tree you shall not eat, for in the day you eat you will surely die. That affects you. That affects me. That affects all of humanity because he ate, and that day they died, not physically but spiritually. And Isaiah 59.2 says their sins have made a separation between them and their God. And all of humanity finds itself in the same boat, separated because of sin. And man in his best attempts tries to get back to God, but nevertheless, that's impossible. You can't get back to God in your own strength and your own abilities. It must be the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, of course. But our sin doesn't simply affect us, it affects everybody. 
The wages of sin is always death and will always be death. It may be the death of, of a marriage. It may be death of a relationship. It may be death of something, but it kills because it's the enemy. It's the deceiver. It's the slander. And he has one objective, and that's to kill, steal, and ultimately destroy. So sin affects everyone. And if we are to have great examples for the ladies to follow, we not only need to have women who are reverent in their behavior, but also not malicious gossips. Paul continues that these women must not be malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Listen, nothing comes of good from being addicted to wine. A godly woman is a woman who is self-restraint, sober, she is a woman who is not addicted to a substance that fogs her thinking. And plus, again, everything you do is an example to the younger women. So if you're there getting drunk on wine and you're addicted to wine, then what do you expect the younger women to do? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I just look at my own kids and I can see everything that's an issue in my life. Guess what typically is their issue? If I say a word that I don't like, and I say it on a regular basis, guess what? It don't dawn on you till the baby says it. Oh boy, you can't say that word, Daddy. You say that word. Hmm. They are what they eat. You are what you eat. Listen, we are examples to somebody. And here he wants us to understand: we don't need women, godly women, who are addicted to wine. Listen, because wine was a normal substance to mix with water for purification of water, there was always a temptation to take that which was beneficial and what? Misuse it and thus turn it into sin. Listen, you can apply that to every area of our lives. It doesn't just apply to drinking. It's self-control. Because in anything that is not inherently bad, when it is used and misused, it becomes sin. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a cell phone. Right? Other than it doesn't work in this for circle right here of life. It, but there's nothing wrong with this phone, is it? Until you find yourself addicted to pornography. And listen, this is not just a man issue anymore. We are living in a different time. Protect your children. Ladies, protect your husbands. Husbands, protect your wives. Put some software on there. Some accountability. But there's nothing wrong with the cell phone unless we misuse it. There's nothing wrong with social media comments and they're a great source to keep up with what's going on in the family and share pictures and reveal truth and all these other things. But when it overtakes our life and they become an idol in our life, it becomes sin. Listen, there's nothing wrong with eating food. I love eating. But when we overeat, we become a glutton. It's a sin. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having an intimate relationship. And I have to put the disclosure on there between a man and a woman. But when it's done outside of the context for which God designed it, which is marriage, it becomes a sin. We take the things which God has made and created as good and we mis misuse them and we turn them into things which are not good and bad. And we have to be careful that if we're going to be God-like, Christ-like characteristics, examples to the younger generation, then we have to maintain our Christian integrity. You godly women are to be women that are not addicted to wine, you're not to misuse things which are good for your own immoral satisfaction. You are to be sober-minded. You are to be self-controlled. Listen, I, I'll, I'll say this, and I won't hang on it long, but I think somebody needs to say it. Christ 
Christians shouldn't have anything to do with alcohol. Because it's not, it is not an industry that honors God. They spend millions and millions of dollars making it look so good and fun. And they spend millions and millions of dollars covering up the devastation that comes from it. You know how many counseling sessions I've done on people whose marriages are destroyed? You know how many family members I've watched their marriages be destroyed? Children destroyed because of an example for which their fathers and their mothers acted on. Now the kids are doing the same thing. We're called to be wise. Listen, just because it's, you have the freedom to doesn't mean you should. That's my point. I, I'm not saying that having a glass of wine is a sin. I'm just saying be wise because someone's watching you. And you may encourage the younger generation into something you want nothing to do with. And that is a lifestyle of alcoholism. We, we, we shouldn't, as Christians, flounder in those areas. It's not an industry that honors God. We seek to live lives that honor God, not dishonor God. We seek to do things that please and exemplify Christ's likeness. I mean, Jesus died for our sins, that we no longer are slaves to sin, but rather slaves to righteousness. That should, we should rejoice in that, that we are no, we're no longer under the yoke of sin. He's given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness. We can have victory in this life as Christians. So if you're going to be a woman with integrity, a woman with godlike characteristics, a woman that honors the Lord, a woman that is not addicted to much wine is important. Or to anything else that would hinder your fellowship with God. So Paul instructs Titus to make sure these women are not to be malicious gossip, nor enslaved to much wine, but rather they are to be, as Paul says, teaching what is good. Can I ask a question? Are you women teaching what is good? The first two areas that Paul addresses with are, are character qualities. But notice the, the one that is more, this one is called more to action. This is an activity by which you should ongoingly be doing. This is a level of expectation that's given. And so while it is important to understand the expectation of older women and their characters, we must secondly understand expectation of older women and their calling. Here the women are called to teach what is good. Calvin reminds us that, that these women are to cultivate this virtue. Not, not for the virtue that ends in itself, that would, that would raise up self-righteousness. Right? But, but rather, it's a great purpose to cultivate a virtue of Christ's likeness so that you can fulfill your purpose of training the younger women. That's the beauty of this thing. Notice here, Paul does not tell Titus to directly teach the younger women. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say teach the younger women. He says teach the older women. And the older women are to what? Teach the younger women. This is, this, this, this isn't a, a, a claim to be a, a woman pastor. It's a call for older women to train the younger women to teach them what is good. <laughs> so are we? Just as the, as the women are to teach the, the, the young women, so the men are to teach the young men. Are we fulfilling our God-given callings in this life? And, and I'm, I'm going to argue that it begins in the home. Right? Mothers, see, teach your children the Bible. If you need help, that's, that's what there's resources for. Men, teach your children in the home. Encourage them. Lift them up. Challenge them. Talk about the things of God. It should be normal conversation. 
Because I promise you, if you don't, somebody else will. And it may not be what you want them to learn. Give them the ability to defend their faith. Don't send them out to the wolves to be attacked and obliterated. I, when I was at Columbia International University, listen, I watched these kids be devastated as they were challenged in their faith. Many of them come out of the classrooms crying. Why? Because they didn't have a solid rock for which they could stand. That doesn't fall on the church. That falls on the family. That falls on the leadership by which God has established from up to down. So the call here is the older women to train the younger women to walk and journey in the life to spiritual maturity. We are called, you are called to invest in the younger women. You don't have to be 70, 60, 70, 80 years old. Now the average time during that time for childbirth was 40 to 45 years old. So rearing age would have been 60 to 65. And thus contextually, culturally, he's probably got in mind 60 to 70. But times have changed. We have children much younger now. And, and so you can be a spiritually mature woman, an older woman who is spiritually older and still have an impact on the younger women. But nevertheless, it's, it's the responsibility of those who are of the faith and, and spiritually mature and older in the faith to train the younger women. And so I want to encourage every one of you to do that. Because we need you. We, we desperately need you to fulfill those roles. And I want to encourage you to do that. Encourage the younger women to find an older woman. Young girls, find somebody and go to them. They should expect it from you. Will you teach me how to be a Titus II woman? I need your help. I need you to walk with me. Young girls, go to your mothers. Mothers, go to somebody above you. And it should just drain downhill. We all need help. I had mentors. I have mentors that I call every week, that I lean on, that I can trust. We need other people to help us in this journey of life, to honor the Lord, to be about His work. So I, I, we need to encourage the women. Find them who exemplify Christ-like character who isn't a malicious gossip, who isn't addicted to much wine, but rather cultivates a virtue that honors Christ. She is the one you should pursue to learn from. Paul tells us to have them teach what is good. Well, what is good? Well, I believe that what is good is sound doctrine, but that's not the only thing Paul is referring to because I believe context, context, context. Contextually, what I think Paul is referring to is ultimately how the younger women should live their lives. Which Paul reveals in the remaining of the passages, which we'll look at next week, by the way. Paul has expressed to Titus this in this passage, those very things that older women should be investing in teaching. And I believe if we're going to be honest, this is a desperate need in the church. A desperate need in the church for older godly women who will obey the biblical man to train, to train the younger women. Not to, not to teach them your agenda or your desire, but rather to, to walk them through the biblical blueprint of what it is to be a, a Christ-honoring, exalting woman. One writer said, young women long for a mature woman to take them under their wings, to teach them how to live the Christian life, especially since many of them lack such godly models in their own family. Wow. So Paul says, teach what is good. And why? Well, he says in verse 4, why? Verse 4a, so that they may encourage the younger women. Now the question is, how are the older women to encourage the younger women? So Paul gives the pattern to these older women by which they should be encouraging young women in their living. We should not only seek out and see the expectations of older women and teach and train the younger, 
But we're going to see by virtue of how they should be encouraging these young women to live. So there's not only an expectation for the older women, but there's also an expectation for the younger women. And that is to fall under the leadership of some older woman who is investing the, the qualities. These emphasis, emphasizing seven encouraging things. That the older women should be training the younger women, but we'll get to that next week. You see, God has done a wonderful job orchestrating and building the blueprint by which we are to follow as Christians. The older women have a vital task. And listen, they're really up against the greatest attack from this modern culture. No biblical standard, listen, is more viciously attacked than this topic. The, the, the God-ordained roles of men and women in the church. No passage of Scripture, listen, is ridiculed by the attackers more than these two verses. Other than maybe Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so if this is a reality, I don't want to just walk through it. I want to make sure that I'm sensitive to it, that I spend the necessary time so that I can communicate it in a way that honors you and that it honors God. Because I believe it is vitally important in this day and in this age that women should indeed teach and expect the younger women to follow. The old saying is, when you're over the target, the attacks come. I, I assume that comes from the idea of the bomber being over the city. And when they're getting to drop the bombs, you've seen the old videos where all the flax hitting around the boom, 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 boom. We're over the target. Well, I'm here to tell you, this is over the target. And if there's ever a time for attacks, it's now. So be on the lookout. You women have and will always be a force to be reckoned with. You have more power than you give yourselves credit for. You have an eternal impact that you are making or not making. And when you fulfill your roles and responsibility for which God has given you, listen, there is no greater power, there is no greater blessing, there is no greater calling than for a woman to honor Almighty God in her calling. I'm reminded of Jesus who obeyed His Father in His calling. Jesus fulfilled His role and His responsibility. Listen, but it cost Him His life. He had to sacrifice that you might live. And it became the greatest blessing for all of humanity. God knew you couldn't make it to heaven on your own. You needed a Savior, so He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on your behalf that you might have life. Now you lack one thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Ladies, it's important to be reminded that there is no greater pleasure than to be who God designed you to be, to fulfill your calling. There is no greater reward than to fulfill the role that God has called you to. Listen, it will take sacrifice, of course. It will take courage, of course. But in the end, it will accomplish everything that the Father has intended for it to accomplish. Listen, I love my wife. I have a godly wife. And I'm proud of my wife. But you know what? I'm proud of my wife's mother. And I'm proud of my wife's grandmother who have historically invested and poured into her what it was to be a godly woman. I can't teach you that. Only the godly women can instill into their grandchildren and into their children these character qualities. Because that was God's design. It was His blueprint. So let me ask you a question. Are you willing to make the sacrifices? Are you willing to take on the task to being a faithful woman who honors God with her life for the sake of the next generation? Because if we don't start now, what's unfolding will continue until Christ returns. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our program today. 
We pray that you are blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.